following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people, and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer, and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's, directions, or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. Our reading this evening is taken from John chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. I'll give you a few moments now to find that in your own Bibles. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know. And we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light 
because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I speak in the name of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. So, if the Bible were a TV series, tonight's episode on John chapter 3 would be most people's favourite episode. I promise you, you'd see excerpts from it on trailers for the whole series. You'd see it put up on adverts, up on billboards, because it's packed with content. We have Jesus talking about the need to be born again. We've got a whole load of stuff about the need to be baptised, not just by water, but by the Spirit. We hear that light has come into the world, but people prefer darkness. And above all, we have verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. That verse has been called the Gospel in summary. You can buy t-shirts with that verse printed on them, either the whole thing in full or just the reference, John 3.16. And not just t-shirts, you can get cufflinks or tote bags, cushions, car stickers or luggage labels, phone cases, dog tags, mugs. You could even get face masks in these Covid days. It really is box office stuff. But you know, even the most powerful Bible verse is best looked at in context. And the context for this box office verse is that Jesus says it during a humdinger of a conversation with a man called Nicodemus who comes to see him. So tonight I'm going to ask four questions about the context for this verse. Who is Nicodemus? Why did he visit Jesus? What happened in this conversation to produce such a box office verse? And what does this have to teach us? Okay, first off, who was Nicodemus? Well, we're told he was a ruler of the Jews, most likely a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. But he was an educated ruler, a teacher of Israel, a theologian, if you like. Most likely he was from a prominent and wealthy Jerusalem family. And this all matters because the relationship between Jesus and the religious leaders were not good at this point. Jesus was seen by them as at best a troublemaker and at worst a heretic and a blasphemer. So that raises question two. Why did he visit Jesus? Why does this member of the ruling Jewish establishment pitch up at night wanting to talk to troublemaker Jesus? Well, it seems he's come to discuss theology. So Nicodemus opens by addressing Jesus as rabbi, acknowledges him as being a teacher, and says that the signs or miracles that Jesus has done are such that he must clearly have been sent by God. Now that doesn't necessarily mean what we might think it does. Nicodemus, as the teacher of Israel, would know that plenty of people have been sent by God in the past, from Moses to John the Baptist. Whereas, of course, Jesus is so much more than just another prophet sent by God. He's the son of God. But we'll come back to that. Most commentators saw Nicodemus as being an example of a good, faithful Jew 
who has glimpsed something of who Jesus is and wants to know more. Maybe he's intrigued by reports of the miracles Jesus has done, wants to see him close up to eyeball him and learn more. And coming by night, they say, is just pragmatic. It would be risky, surely, for someone like Nicodemus to be seen visiting this troublesome figure. Now, all of that may well be true, but we always need to remember that so much in John's Gospel works at more than one level. There are various themes and motifs that swirl around in John, one of which is frequent references to images of light and darkness. So when we read of Nicodemus coming by night, we pay attention, of course, to the symbolism of someone coming out of the darkness to the light that is Jesus. And there's another view of Nicodemus, expressed most strongly by the biblical scholar Edward Clink. That view says that Nicodemus didn't come with good intentions at all, that maybe the Pharisees sent him to shame Jesus or to take him on and defeat him, not in battle, but in formal dialogue. So that what may read to us like a straightforward conversation is in fact a stylized battle of words, like a set-piece debate, or as my colleague Brandon memorably puts it, like a modern-day rap battle. But whatever his reason for coming, the discussion between Jesus and Nicodemus does become a battle of wits and wordplay, and it's only going to have one possible ending. But after Nicodemus makes his opening gambit, teacher, rabbi, you must be a god, Jesus comes back with, nobody, Nicodemus, can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Now first, a word of apology. There are three points in today's reading where the choice of translation matters. So I'm afraid you're going to have to put up with me peering over my metaphorical Bible and saying, but it says in the original Greek something else. So the first of those is here with this phrase, born again. Because that's how our NIV Bibles we use in Nick's translate that Greek word anothen. And it's not wrong, but it's not the whole story either. Because the word anothen has at least two sets of meanings. It can mean again or anew or afresh from the beginning or a second time. But it can also mean from above or by association from heaven. And it's likely this is a piece of deliberate ambiguity. So Jesus' statement would have been heard as meaning both afresh and from above. But Nicodemus responds as though Jesus had only meant born again and had meant it literally. Now, this could be Nicodemus deliberately misunderstanding, perhaps playing a game to try to make Jesus look daft. What, you think you can be born again as an adult? What are you, stupid? But if it's not game playing, then of course it reflects the limited understanding that Nicodemus brings to this conversation. That he can only see things in human terms, so he assumes Jesus must mean literal rebirth. But if he thought even for a moment, then even if that were possible, it's not going to get him very far. Being born again the same way would presumably lead to the same result, re-entering the same broken world. Something more is needed. A second birth, but from above, from heaven. So Jesus explains some more. Listen up, Nicodemus, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. And he carries on. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. OK, klaxon alert, Greek bit of geekery number two. That phrase in verse eight about the wind is another piece of multi-layering of meaning. In Greek, the word pneuma can mean either wind or spirit. 
So as the great Kingsley Barrett points out, that saying could either mean the wind blows where it wills and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. Or it could mean the spirit breathes where he wills and you hear his voice, but you do not know, etc. And again, it probably means both. Now Nicodemus by now is confused, but he shouldn't be. Because you know, the same is true in the Hebrew language of the scriptures which he teaches. Ruach in Hebrew can mean wind or spirit. So Jesus says to him, but you're Israel's teacher and you don't understand? Don't you get this? So Jesus unpacks it some more by distinguishing between those things that are of earth and those that are of heaven. And of course the connection between the two is Jesus himself, the one who came from heaven to earth for us. So far this battle of wits and wordplay has been sparkling and honestly Nicodemus isn't doing so well. But in verse 14 Jesus shifts the focus to the future when he as the son of man will be lifted up. Just as he said Moses lifted up the snake in the desert. Uh-huh. Well, you can read all about Moses and the snake if you go to chapter one of chapter 21 of the book of Numbers. But very briefly, the people of Israel were wandering around in the wilderness after God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt. A number of them were bitten by venomous snakes and died. So on God's instructions, Moses made a bronze snake and lifted it up on a pole. And then when, if anyone was bitten, if they looked at the bronze serpent, they would survive. Now this illusion has Jesus saying that there will be another lifting up, which will again have the effect of saving his people. But this time, it's Jesus himself who will be lifted up, lifted up on a cross to die. But the saving effect will be even greater, bringing eternal life to those who believe in him. So in the end, Jesus wins this battle of wits and wordplay, but by predicting his own humiliation and death. It's quite a story. God becomes human and enters our broken world, a world ruined by sin, by human mess, a world where death destroys, where nothing's the way it was meant to be. But into that world, Jesus brings life and hope. Because when the one truly innocent, perfect human goes willingly to his execution and is then raised from the dead, everything changes. But the symbolism here is really rich. Leslie Newbegin points out that that bronze serpent was a symbol of what was destroying the people of Israel. Likewise, Jesus, the Son of Man, must be made sin on our behalf, as Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians. Only by taking the evil of the world onto his own shoulders can our world be put back to rights. And so we finally arrive at the box office verse, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Okay, I'm really sorry, but here goes the final Greek klaxon alert. Because the word translated as so, hutos, really means thus or in this way, in this manner. So I'm with those scholars who argue that actually a better translation is, this is how God loved the world. In other words, it's not just that God loved the world a lot, though he did and does. But giving us his son shows us what true love looks like. It looks like sacrificial love. 
love without limits, without qualification, without any preconditions. Love for everyone, a gift to the whole world. But it's an offering, it's not a compulsion. People can choose to come to the light or they can choose not to. Jesus came to bring life, but the gift of life must be accepted and it can be refused. As the dialogue unfolds in today's reading, there's a point where Jesus switches from singular to plural, where he's not just talking to Nicodemus, but he starts talking to a wider audience, to those who were sure they understood, but really didn't, or to those who did understand, but not enough, or perhaps to those who saw, but didn't follow. So not just Nicodemus then. Okay, it's time for our final question. Now that we have the context for John 3.16, what have we learnt? What do we know now? Well, we know that God loves us, that God loves you, that God loves the world so much and in such a way that he sent his only son to become human and face death to reopen the connection between God and humans. We know that when Jesus died and was raised again, everything changed. We were given a chance of eternal life, if we choose it. But we do have to choose to accept the offer of life, to say yes to that divine invitation, to follow the light in the darkness. We know that to see the inbreaking kingdom of God, we need to be born afresh, born from above, baptised with water and the spirit. But actually, what a wonderful offer, the chance to start anew with a clean sheet, transformed in the power of the Spirit. Because the message of Jesus really is one of hope and transformation. But above all, we know something really deeply of who our God is. God who is truly for others. God who is truly for us. God of love. A love which overflows in the sending of his only Son. And the Son, though ever obedient to the Father, goes willingly. I want to end by reading you a poem. It's by the priest and poet R.S. Thomas, and it's called The Coming. And it goes like this. And God held in his hand a small globe. Look, he said. The sun looked. Far off as through water, he saw a scorched land of fierce colour. The light burned there. Crusted buildings cast their shadows. A bright serpent, a river, uncoiled itself, radiant with slime. On a bare hill, a bare tree saddened the sky. Many people held out their thin arms to it, as though waiting for a vanished April to return to its crossed boughs. The sun watched them. Let me go there, he said. And he did. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the St Nick's Durham podcast. If you'd like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.